You know, I've been hearing about this video all week and no, I think it stirred up some egg making. And so hopefully you're bringing some, uh, some of those handmade eggs and I probably won't eat any more of them. Uh, but they're hard to resist. And so take your Bibles and let's turn to Luke chapter 15 this morning. Let's welcome those who are watching this morning over in our LifePoint service. We love you. We're so grateful that you're over there and to our television viewers and those on live streaming. You can take your scriptures as well and let's join Jesus in this incredible uh, passage of scripture as he talks about uh, the loss. There's really three themes in this passage and it's uh, key words. There's lost, there's found, and there's rejoice. There's lost, there's found, and there is rejoice. And this series is called Reaching Out. And we built up to this with our Reach Up series in January, our Reach In series in February and our Reach Out series heading into Easter. And we do, we have a, a wonderful Easter egg hunt. We need like 10,000 eggs. And that's why uh, uh, we're doing videos, whatever we can to get to encourage you to do that. So uh, we made a bunch at our house. And so hopefully you'll bring some, but the reason that we're doing eggs, the reason we're doing all of that is, is on Saturday, we hope to have the community here. We want to be hospitable to our community, love our community, welcome them. We're gonna have bouncy houses food trucks, self-serve food trucks, where you can buy lunch uh, from different groups. And then we're gonna have uh, face painting, lots of stuff for the kids. And we're just gonna love on our community and we're gonna invite them to church on Easter Sunday because there's a, that's a, an incredible opportunity. And we hope you'll take advantage of that. I've been praying that God would make Easter Sunday just an, just an amazing event as we see our community come together with us to worship. And I think that would please the Lord Jesus, don't you? Uh, because he is seeking the lost. He is seeking the lost. He said, I came, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. And the question that I wanna answer this morning is really what is lostness like? We, we take for granted that we understand that term, but Jesus really parses that term by showing us some different stories concerning lostness. And we're gonna draw some of that out but we're gonna join Jesus in doing exactly what he came to do. That's really what we're visualizing here and seeing in Luke 15 is Jesus doing what he can do. He's sitting with the lost. He's speaking to the lost. He's engaging the lost and doing so with stories. And in it, we learn a lot about how we are to continue work, how he wants to continue reaching through us. And so uh, it's a long chapter, but we need to read it. So let's read it together. Would you just look at Luke chapter 15? You follow along and it's a cool story, a series of stories. So hopefully uh, you'll stick with me on it. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That sounds like a good thing. Well, the Pharisees didn't like that. Uh, the Jews, the Jews, like the Pharisees, the church or those that were, were, were conservative in their day with the scriptures, they wanted, they just didn't think that was good. You don't associate with them, but Jesus did. So they grumbled, verse two, and said, this man receives sinners and even eats with them. He's breaking bread. He's becoming just defiled in the presence of these sinners. So what did Jesus do? He told them a story. He told them some parables. The first one was about the lost sheep. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he gives a call, he texts his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. I'm going to tell you another one, just so 
There will be more joy in heaven uh, over one sinner who repents, over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or one woman having 10 silver coins. Remember last week, the silver coins are probably on, basically on a headband that were like a, a modern day wedding ring. And it would have been given to her by a thing of great value. And one of those coins disappeared. She was just, she wasn't watching or whatever happened. And so she begins to search for that thing of incredible value. Verse nine says, and when she found it, she calls to get friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me for I found the coin that I had lost just so. There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said this. He says, there was a man with how many sons? This is a story of a prodigal son, not of one necessary father. This is a story of two sons. And we're going to see that this morning. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. When would it have come to him, church? When daddy died, right? He says, I want it now. And he divided his property between them. He said, okay, I'll go ahead and divide it up. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and he took a journey to a far country, he squandered his property in riotous, reckless living. And when he had done everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. You talk about being defiled. This good Jewish boy. And he was longing to be fed with the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more bread than this? And I'm going to perish here with hunger. I got an idea. Here was his plan. He said, I will rise. I'll go to father. And here's my plan. I'll just say, father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So just take me on as a hired servant. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. A father did what a million older gentleman would ever done. He ran. He hiked up his skirt or whatever they wore, whatever he called. And he ran. He let all pride go. He pursued the son hearing that he was, and he embraced him and he kissed him. Was this before or after the son repented? Was this before or after the son gave him his plan? Before. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he could finish his plan, remember his plan? Just hire me on as a servant. The father stopped him and said, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fat calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and he is found. And they begin to celebrate all but who? Look at verse 25. Now his older son was out in the field doing what he was supposed to do. 
And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music, he heard the dancing, and he called one of his servants, and he said, what is up with this? What's going on? And he said, oh, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. And the older brother was angry, refused to even go into the party. Notice what his father did. The father did the same thing he did with the younger son. The father came to him. The father came out to the older son. And he entreated him. But he said to his father, look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. How likely do you think that is? It's true. Never gave me a young goat, much less the fattened calf. But when his son, this son of yours came, who has devoured your property, prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Father, what an incredible visual of your grace. Your grace. You offered grace to the younger son, then you turned around and you offered grace to the older son. One received it gladly, one rejected it. The one that was found the whole time is actually lost. The one who was lost becomes found. So God, just help us to understand lostness this morning, to understand how we are to be joining you in this journey. We ask now in Jesus' name, amen. Even though there are four visualizations of lostness in this chapter, when it comes right down to it, there are only two types of people on planet Earth. The scriptures reveal those type. There's, there's lost and found. That's basically it. But you could really describe it like Romans does. There are those who worship the creator and those who worship the creature. The creator and the creature. I was uh, listening the other day to something that made me think of a series of movies. Any of you ever uh, remember the Terminator movies? Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh, Maybe you didn't watch any of these movies, you didn't miss much. But the idea was, and it's been a 30-year series of different things, here's the whole idea is that mankind created these machines. The machines became intelligent enough. They decided they didn't like the people that had created the machines, and so they began to terminate the humans. So the creature terminates the creator. Now, what's interesting is that, and it sometimes happens, science fiction, science fiction over time becomes a little bit of reality. Stephen Hawkins, the great uh, uh, physicist, uh, back in November, uh, said a few things that probably should concern us. He talked about artificial intelligence. That's the basic idea that the machines begin to develop ability to think a little bit on their own. And that's becoming somewhat true to the point that Stephen Hawkins warned us that it has the potential to destroy civilization. It could be the worst thing that has ever happened to humanity. Quote, 
Computers can, in theory, emulate human intelligence and exceed it, he said. Success in creating artificial intelligence could be the biggest event in the history of our civilization or worst. We just don't know. So we cannot know if we will be infinitely helped by artificial or ignored by it and sidelined or conceivably destroyed by it. I fear that artificial intelligence may replace humans, humans that created it all together. Now, listen to this, this passage of scripture. In Acts chapter three, Peter is preaching to the Jews there in Jerusalem right after the crucifixion. Listen to the words he uses. You denied the holy and righteous one, Jesus, and asked for a murderer to be delivered to you. And in verse 15, it says, and you killed the author of life. You, the creature, killed the creator. It reminds me of all those headlines we've seen over the years. God is dead. No, God is not dead. The creature wishes the creator would go away, would stay out of this business. Lostness in its deepest essence is the creature rejecting the creator. The creature deciding, I want it my way, not his way. And in a sense, Adam and Eve uh, corrupted their programming. They allowed this virus of sin to enter into their, their thinking and into their minds. And that same virus of rebellion against our creator has corrupted all of us. And now we're doing, uh, we're sidelining the creator. We're ignoring the creator. And it has such a blinding effect that sometimes we're like, sheep are not even aware there is a creator. And so lost in its essence is this Creature losing connection to the creator, rejecting the very creator, and even killing on a cross the creator. But notice what the creator did. The creator rose from the dead. The creator came in the flesh, entered into creation and said, I am going to seek and to save the lost among you. And if you will turn from your programming, turn and repent of your rebellion against me. If you will just run to the father, I will save you. I'll reprogram you. I'll transform your mind. I'll put you back together. You don't have to be lost. And so when we see Jesus in chapter 15 here, verse 1, we see the creator engaging and encountering the lost creation. And so to join, we need to do exactly what that is. You and I have got to become incarnate in this world. You and I have got to encounter and engage those who are lost. We've got to do that. Or we're not walking with Jesus. He's with the law. There are two words that we talk about this a little more in depth next week, but two things that we must focus on are the things Jesus is doing in these first three, three verses. Jesus lived a life of proximity to the lost. Proximity. He was with them. And they were drawn to him, drawn. It's interesting how those who, who uh, understand a little bit better their sinfulness found in the message of Jesus something that drew them. And yet the Pharisees who couldn't see the sin in them were rebuffed by that uh, type of teaching of Jesus. And so one of the things you can expect if you are proclaiming uh, true, the true gospel, your greatest enemies, religious. 
the religious. Because the religious have coated themselves with good works, coated themselves with all of these things, and they're depending on that like the Pharisees. But those who, who haven't, who aren't depending upon their good works, but who begin to really recognize they have all of these bad works, they will be drawn to that true teaching of grace, the true gospel. And so Jesus is practicing two key things, proximity to the lost and potency with the lost. How many of you got the flu vaccine this year? Or how many of you took the flu vaccine and got the flu this year? <laughs> you know, this was a year vaccine. Between 40 and 60% effectiveness or potency. This year, they're thinking it was down around 30. In Australia, it was about 10%. In Canada, about 70% effective with the strain of virus. So it wasn't a very potent uh, inoculation this year. But some of you got the flu because you didn't, you didn't take it. It's still in the vial. And see, this is one of the things we do as Christians. We, we either stay in the vial and never get into the problem, get involved with those who are lost, or we get involved and live our life in proximity to the lostness, but we have no potency. There's no potency to our testimony. There's no difference in the way we live and the way we, the way we talk. And so we either lose our proximity or lose our potency, but Jesus had both. And one of the things that made him so potent was he had a deep understanding of lostness. And I want to look at that with you this morning. Let's talk about lostness. What does it mean to be lost? This is something us share. All of us share lostness before we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a universal problem. Some of you, because you were uh, uh, far from God till later in life, you really can remember a lot of that being far from God. Some of us that became Christians early in life, we, 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 it's hard for us to have had those years of journey in those prodigal lands, you know? And, and so sometimes we got a little taste of that, but all of us shared it. Cause listen to what Ephesians says, Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses in sins in which you once walked following the course world, the way it is programmed. You just march in order. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and were by nature chilled wrath like the rest of all of us start off because of the sin that becomes a part of our life early, early on, and we come in with this broken nature. We have a spiritually dead life. We have, we have physical life. We're walking, we're living, we're talking, but we're spiritually dead. And it's something that's even hard for you to realize. You can be spiritual and be spiritually dead. But in there, there's kind of different forms of deadness. I mean, consider the guy who's attacked by a hungry lion, Right? So he's just torn up by the lion. He's got a leg over here and an arm over here. He's half eaten. Did I give you a gross there? Does that get dead? Dead. There's a guy who maybe gets bitten uh, by a tiny uh, Australian black widow or whatever, the most poisonous spider. Gets bit by a spider and he kind of scratches it, lays down, and he dies in his sleep. How dead is he? He's dead. Now, one form of death is uglier than the other. And so we can sometimes look at... Uh, what we would consider an uglier kind of dead in sin, but we're equally, equally separated from God. But here's what we discover as we look through these stories 
I, there's a, there is a hardening that can happen to people that are lost over time. Hardening, it's almost, it's not deeper deadness, but like Pharaoh, can you see it progress through this? And Jesus illustrates the nature of lostness through these stories. Think about the lost sheep. Now sheep are nearsighted. They don't see very well. They're not smart animals. They require shepherding. They are some of the most absolutely dependent animals on planet earth. And so for Jesus to say, uh, uh, the lost sheep, to compare lost to sheep is to really show the fleshliness of our minds is actually foolishness. And, and without Christ, part of our lostness, the lostness of humanity is they're driven by the flesh. They're driven by the nose, by the five senses. And so they find their way through life based on the senses that they already have. It's a fleshliness but actually there is a way that seems right to a man, you know, the Bible says, but that way leads to destruction. And so the picture is of, of how dangerous life is. You are led by your nose, led by your flesh. You end up isolated in danger like that sheep. How long are they gonna last in the wilderness? They're destined for destruction. So the lost sheep really reveals the foolishness and the ignorance of our own minds spiritually. You may have finely tuned senses, sight, hearing, smell, but be spiritually like sheep, lost. It's interesting how the shepherd, um, I was doing some reading up on but then you would think the shepherd could come, come up to that lost sheep who's wandered off and just say, hey, come on, follow me back, come on. But one thing that I was reading said, no, that's not quite it. It's more like you got cornered, rest you down, tie up those sheep and throw it over the shoulder. The losses of the sheep, the gathering of it, the picture of a shepherd pursuing and wrestling that lost sheep and then rejoicing as he comes home. Think about all the lost coin, I think, in a way could represent uh, a compounding of people's lostness through the carelessness of other people. When I see a child that is in a Christian home, we cannot afford to be careless with that coin, can we? But how often in our carelessness or the carelessness of a pastor who's a bad teacher, bad preacher, or leads a congregation astray, or a parent who doesn't, doesn't watch over and disciple and care for those children, or a nation that has been given such great heritage, a Christian heritage, but we are being negligent with it, careless with it. So we find there is a loss that people naturally lost, but sometimes it's compounded by bad teaching false teachers, abusive parents, abusive uh, 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 leaders in their lives, leaders, all sorts of things. I run into wounded, hardened, lost people all the time. And when I talk to them about Jesus, they can barely see Jesus anymore because it's coated with the carelessness of some previous Christian who didn't treat them right. That's a scary thing. There's a type of lostness. They're just lost, but it's been added to with the carelessness of others. There's a third type. As Jesus begins to talk about these two sons, two sons. First one we see is lost. He is a son and he has a loving father. And this father has not been careless. This father has poured his heart and life into the son. As he him everything he knows. Yet we see another form of lostness, which is the willful rejection. Willful rejection 
of the father's home. The willful rejection of the father's influence and control. If we look back at verse 12, we see this prodigal son, this first son come up and what he asked was legally possible, but relationally horrible. He was saying, I want you to go ahead and give me your inheritance. I want my portion as the younger son, probably 30, 40%. I want it right now. Basically, he was saying to his dad, I want my life right now to be as if you were dead. I no longer want to have to wait for you to die. I need you out of my life right now. I want your authority over my life moved out of the way so I can have what's coming to me. Now here is one of the first acts of unbelievable grace that this Middle Eastern father did what absolutely no Middle Eastern father probably would have done. Most of them would have slapped him, would have knocked him, would have uh, disinherited him, would have done all sorts of things to him. But in an act of incredible grace, this father divides his property between them. Now, what's interesting to me is that it says between them, the older son and the younger son, he says, okay, it's gonna be as if I'm just dead. I'm gonna stay here and all that I have left belongs to son number two. And you have gone ahead and you take your portion. What an incredibly rejecting thing this is. But you know the story goes off and he starts coming to his senses. He starts coming to his senses and he begins to come up with the plan to go back and to to just be a, a servant. There's no inheritance left for him. It's done. It's done. And he comes back to his senses. Now, some of you have probably even experienced that in your own life. Maybe you had a period where you willfully rejected your home and your father and mother's faith. You may have been baptized, you may have gone to church, but you were probably not a believer. And you came to a point of recognizing your lostness. And maybe you know some people that are running from God. They've just basically said, I'm not gonna worship the creator. I'm gonna be my own creator. I'm gonna create my world. I'm gonna control my own destiny. And we look at what he comes back to. It says that he notices that his life is out of control. Here's the principle of, listen, anytime you decide you're gonna control your life, no, out of control, you just guarantee that. And so this, this young man begins to see he's out of control. But I want us to look at the fourth type of lostness. There's the sheep lostness, just foolishness, fleshliness, compounded by the, the coin lostness, which compounded by the negligence of others. And then there is the son who knows right from wrong and he chooses to control his father. He chooses willfully to reject what is right and to do what is wrong. Now we get to, I think, the most intense, devastating level of lostness. And this is the lostness of goodness. This is the lostness that sits in pews. 
This is the lostness that is so hard for us to see. It's the lostness of the older brother. How do we know he's lost? Well, the father throws this great party, right? He's out in the field. And then when he comes, the servant comes to the older brother and says, your brother has been found and your father has received him. How do we know he's lost? Well, really, Jesus says there are two great commandments. Love the Lord your God, right? And love your what? Your brother, your neighbor. First John says, don't tell me you love the father if you don't love your brother. And in, this, in his response to the servant, we see that he loves neither the father nor the brother. Because when the father comes out, he's all of mine is yours. What's wrong? Why won't you come? He says, he indicates that it was never about that relationship with the father. It was all about the fattened calf. Did you notice what he said? He said, I have obeyed you and never broken your commandment. By the way, is that true for anybody? He was self-deceived, self-righteous. He thought, and, and, he, and I hear it all the time. You know, man, he's such a good guy. She's such a good, they'll give you the shirt off their back. But the question this is up, why are they doing that? Well, I'm, I'm dating him. He does go to church. She does go to church. The question is not what they do. The question is, why did they do it? Goodness was the tool of the older brother to try to get from God everything that he wanted. That is the depth of this that scares me. That is the depth of lostness that I and you are most likely to encounter. It is the lostness of believing you can control God by being good. If I am good enough, I obey these rules, you have to let me into heaven. And you better bless my life. I haven't even got, you see, here's, here's where it's revealed. You'll see it revealed in people's lives. You'll see it revealed in a Christian's life or someone who claims to be Christ when they don't get the fattened calf life or they don't even get the goat they get something less. And all of a sudden, it's revealed. Their faithfulness to the Father was just, a, just as much a type of control as the young man who walked up and said, Father, give me what's coming to me now. The old brother basically was waiting, waiting till the end to get what was coming to him. Don't let self-righteousness, don't let religiosity keep you from proximity to the lost. Jesus didn't participate in the ungodliness. He didn't participate in the theft and in the adulterous affairs. He didn't participate in the sin, but he had proximity to those that were lost. Notice he had proximity to the Pharisees 
and to the sinners, to the ones blinded by religion and those who had absolutely rejected religion, he took proximity there. So don't, don't allow your being at church and your religion, don't let it keep you from having proximity to the people we're sent to save and to find. But please, don't let it be the blinder to your lostness. Don't wear it as a source of righteousness because it's not. So let me just give you a few closing applications. The first is this. I don't have it anywhere, but you need to evaluate whether you are lost or you are saved. And I, all I can do is show you the stories. That's all Jesus did, show you the stories. But only the Holy Spirit can tell you this morning. And you just check off. Well, I'm glad I'm saved. I'm not being led by the fleshliness and foolishness like that sheep. And I was raised in a godly home, and they didn't, they weren't negligent. They taught, they told me right from wrong. And man, I'm not like those others that just they're living in reckless, riotous living. But maybe in your heart, the why is completely wrong. And you're lost. You're lost. So evaluate your heart this morning. Maybe some of you, you're you know you've been running. You're like that first son. And you see that God has done everything for you and he is running to you and he wants you. But in every case, the solution, even for the older brother, and he had a chance to do it, but he didn't. The solution is this. And this isn't a bad word. This isn't just being sorry for your sin. It's called repentance. And man, we... And our culture sort of made that a bad word, but it's not. It's a beautiful word. It's coming to your senses. It's turning to what is good for you. Turning to the Father's love. You can repent of fleshliness like the sheep. You can repent and ask for uh, the ability to forgive those who've been careless. You can repent of just the reckless living, but maybe this morning. God has penetrated through the hardest layer and shown you that you've been religious, you've been trying to be good, but you've never received the Father's love. What's remarkable about this story is, is seldom talked about, and I really never saw it till this week. If the first part of that story is true, the Father gave the Son his, the rebel son, the first 40%, the rest went to the older son. And here's, here's an amazing truth. Now stick with me. This is beautiful. One of the reasons the older was so mad is that the robe and the ring and the calf technically belonged to him. But our older brother, 
our older brother, Jesus, gladly gave us his robe. Gladly gave us a ring. Gladly gave the fattened calf the sacrifice. He gave it gladly. Let's pray together. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus. You literally did live that older brother life. You never disobeyed the Father. You never sinned. You worked his fields. You came and fulfilled his will. And then you were the sacrifice for us. And you put, us, you put on us who will simply receive through faith. You have put on us your robe of righteousness. You have put on us your ring of sonship. And we will forever feast at your table. Thank you. Father, I pray that you would speak to those that are lost in this room. Speak through the darkness. Open their hearts and their minds. It's okay. All of us have been lost. All of them. Father, whatever robe of righteousness we put on ourselves of goodness, God, it, it, it will never work. We must repent of that. Repent of wrecked living, repent of our own goodness, self-righteousness, repent of foolishness. God, we repent. I pray that uh, those who need to this morning will. God, we just, as your church, we want to be quick to repent of our lack of proximity and engagement with the lost. Help us to just be out there not participating, but being among so we can share, hear their stories, share our stories, tell them about, tell them about you. God, they want to hear. God, we've got to be where they are. So now, God, as we have our time of invitation, I, play, I pray that those who need to trust you as Lord and Savior would, that they would turn today and trust you. Receive the forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. And come to you. Come back to you. Father, help all of us to respond as we've seen your amazing grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.